message tonight is bring the rain. Bring the rain. I want you to come with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings is in the Old Testament after the book of 2 Samuel. So 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings. Yell out when you're there. I kind of I kind of been on this uh not just an introduction, but I'm kind of really trying to baptize North County uh, in kind of the anointing that God has really uh, blessed Pastor Leanne and I with. Uh, Pretty much our our entire ministry life was God sending us into barren or infertile places and then believing God to bring breakthrough, to change not just the soil, but also to change the state of the springs that were there to to take the water that is not good and uh, cast a branch into it and see God do a miracle where before there was no kingdom flow, now there is a kingdom flow. And uh, we spent our first seven years of marriage and our first seven years of ministry in South Auckland, New Zealand. And uh, just the blessing of God that, that, uh, that came upon us there, the favor of God that God gave us uh, was was really quite extraordinary, just opening up high schools to us. And uh, we saw so many people saved and impacted. I was the chaplain of a number of uh, schools. I was, I was a chaplain in two public schools. I was a, a pastor of a Christian school. And then I was also the chaplain of the, uh, the college, uh, as well as everything else I did. Uh, probably came that close to burnout, but uh, it was all good. And, uh, but we had about uh, eight or nine schools that we were in every, every week. And so I remember when we started running events, it wasn't uncommon for us to have about 1,300 students turn up to, to our events, and, uh, and most of them were unchurched. And so, you know, so God was really good. Then we went to uh, the Northern Beaches, had a powerful season there, took over a, a small youth ministry, and uh, just the blessing of God and the favor of God. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in a, uh, in a home where my father told me, from a young age, there was no such thing as God. So when I had an encounter with God at 18 years of age on a beach, I discovered that God was in fact real. Not only was He real, but He was relational. That you could actually have a relationship with Him. That He actually He actually yearned and craved for connection with me even more than I yearned for, cre- for connection with Him. And uh, not only that, but His, his truths, as, as, I, as I opened my heart and allowed His truths, to come into my life, his truths brought incredible uh, liberation into so many areas of my life, so many areas where I was chained, so many areas where I was small and bound and confined. I found that his word comes in and just busts all of those things those things off. So I just want you to know that I, I'm not the product of a, uh, a Christian family, not that there's anything wrong with a Christian family, but I, that, that was not the, that was not the, uh, the pathway that God chose for me. I, I'm not the product of a seminary. Although I did graduate from Hillsong College, uh, but I, most of the things that I've learned, I've learned through application of God's Word against a very, very real hostile world against it. So tonight I want you to come with me. It's going to be a wonderful journey. And uh, I just kind of can't get away. There's a thousand messages I could preach to, uh, tonight and even last week, whatever. But I, I just kind of keep feeling uh, the Spirit of God leading me specifically to preach kind of, kind of faith breakthrough messages for you to really equip you. And uh, how many people have been appreciating the messages, you know, so far? And uh, God bless you. It, it, tonight is going to be bring the rain. So I want you to come with me to 
1 Kings chapter 17. Yell out when you're there. I want you to feel free to bring your, your pen, paper, journal. It's a great thing to journal. It is a great thing to not just bring your Bible, but bring, bring a notepad and a pen, write stuff down. How many people know that the brain may forget, but paper never forgets? And if you write it down, it is there and you can look on it and reflect on it. I'm a mad journaler. I've got like 307,000 journals at home. And, uh, but it's amazing. I love just picking one up and I look back at all the things that God did and all the things that God said. And it's just a really good thing to just remind yourself. Now, I remember when I was in that valley. And when I was in that valley, the word of the Lord came to me in that valley. And my gosh, it was a word in season. You know, unfortunately, I, I live in valleys a lot more than I, than I care. In fact, even where we live, we bought a house in Carmel Valley. So you think we'd learn by now, but no. And, uh, but, you know, it's amazing. Qu- quite often, you know, in the midst of a valley, in the midst of darkness, I find that His light shines the brightest, and I find that His word comes the loudest and the strongest. So He is for you. 1 Kings 17, verse 1 says, And Elijah the Tishbite, which sounds, pa- uh, you know, sound, sounds painful, but it's not. You can actually get a spray for it. And uh, <laughs> Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here. Turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. It shall be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So Elijah gets up, gives, delivers the word to the king, and then <laughs> takes off, and he goes down to, to, to the brook Cherith, where the uh, ravens bring him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening. Now let's go to chapter 18, and we're going to pick up the reading from uh, verse 20. It says, So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel... Uh, 1 Kings 18, verse 20, and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel, verse 21. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. The people answered him, Not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left of the prophets of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, put no fire on it, and I will prepare the other bull, lay it on the wood, put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves, prepare it, uh, for you are many, and you call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given to them, they prepared it, they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us, but there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you for this word tonight. I ask God that you would speak through your servant. Father, that this would be a rain-making message for people in this house tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. I love this passage of Scripture. For those that are unfamiliar with what is going on in the story is there's a king by the name of Ahab. Ahab is, is the king purely by uh, genealogy, by, by descent, and he's royal blood, and so he's the next guy to take the throne. The problem is he marries a woman called Jezebel. Guys, if you're dating a girl and her name is Jezebel, run. But Ahab is stupid, and he marries the thing. Because he's a weak, 
wristed, namby-pamby, wussy leader, she basically controls everything. She controls everything. You know, he sees a vineyard that Naboth owns, and, and, uh, and he's kind of all sad. And she comes in, she says, well, what's the matter with you? Oh, I'm really sad. I asked Naboth for some, you know, some vineyard, and he won't sell it to me because he loves it. And she's like, are you, are you, you're the king. You have whatever you want. Sit down. I'll get it for you. So she goes down and has him murdered and then takes it off him and uh, gives, gives it to her husband, the king. Just, just nasty, just a, just a bad woman. Because of Jezebel, Jezebel has brought in her gods. And her gods are Baal and Asherah and the Ashtoreths and everything else. And she's brought these into Israel. And she's gone on a bit of a rampage. And because Ahab is a weak leader, he's not standing up to his wife. And what she's doing is she's executing all the prophets of the Lord. But at the same time, she's feeding and she's fostering a program to raise up the prophets of Baal. And so we have the prophets of Baal, we have the prophets of humanism, we have the prophets of perversion, we have the prophets of secularism, we have all these other prophets rising up. They're the ones dominating the media, dominating the newspapers, dominating the landscape. Meanwhile, anyone that speaks out for the Lord and for the ways of God are being executed so that if you keep reading the story, which we don't have time tonight, you find that there's only about 100 prophets left, 50 to a cave, and one guy's feeding them uh, in these caves to trying to keep the voice of God alive, but she's on a rampage because of the rampage God says to Elijah I want you to go and I want you to declare there's going to be a drought over the land of Israel because they have turned away from me and they're worshiping false gods so all of a sudden Elijah bursts on the scene it's the first reference in the Bible 1 Kings 17 verse 1 that we see of Elijah and he bursts onto the scene by stepping into the throne room of the king of Israel and he just kind of walks in there and says listen king there's not going to be any dew, no moisture, nor rain these years except at my word. And then he turned around and walked back out. You can just imagine the king saying, thank you. Who was that guy? You go, are you guys screening people before they come in? And, and yet, the Bible says the heavens close and there's no rain. And a great famine grips the land. The first thing I need you to understand and the, the, the first point of bringing the rain is that you've got to understand there is incredible power when you have God's Word in your mouth. When you have God's Word in your mouth, you have incredible power. Elijah walks in and he says, there will be no dew, nor moisture, nor rain these years except at my Word. How could anybody have the audacity almost almost appearing as arrogance that somehow the heavens, the elements would respond to his word. Elijah was confident of this thing, that his mouth didn't contain his word. His mouth contained God's word. He had so yielded and consecrated his life that the word of the Lord had found a mouthpiece. The word of the Lord had found some lips through which he could pass into this world. Can I tell you, the only way you're going to change your circumstances is not speaking your word. It's not speaking from your spirit. Your spirit will be overwhelmed by the economy, by circumstances. You will complain about the government and elected officials. And this is who I'm believing to be the next president. And, and this is who I'm going for. And all that kind of stuff. And complain out of your spirit. But nothing will change. The only thing that's going to change is when you understand that when you speak not from your spirit, but from the spirit 
Spirit of God, when you speak the Word of God, the heavens can be shut up. You have power on this earth to bind and to loose. Elijah has the Word of God in his mouth. The first, the first time we see God speak in Genesis is in Genesis 1 verse 2, when God said, let there be light. Most secular universities will teach you today, and you've been brainwashed, that the purpose of speech is communication. They will tell you some rubbish, some nonsense that, you know, billions of years ago in the primordial slime, you know, things evolved from simple single-cell organisms and over billions of years of evolution, you know, the apes fell out of the trees, the hair fell off, and man stood upright saying, my God, that's better. My back was hurting walking like that on all fours. And and then all of a sudden, man began to develop, you know, clicks and 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 little little glitches of, of language, and then sure enough, language evolved so that man could communicate with man. Eh, wrong. The original purpose of speech is not, not for communication. The original purpose of speech was for creation. When God said, let there be light, there was no one else around for him to be talking to. He wasn't talking to a person. He wasn't speaking to communicate. He was speaking to create. The world that you live in is created by the words that come out of your mouth. So, so Elijah here understands that he has to have God's word in his mouth. There's a young prophet by the name of Jeremiah. Some Bible scholars believe he was as young as nine, others as old as 13. Somewhere between nine and 13 is Jeremiah when the Lord gets a hold of him. And the Bible says that God reaches out, touches Jeremiah's lips and says, See, I've put my word in your mouth. I have this day set you over nations and kingdoms to pull down and to destroy, to build up and to plan. When God put his word in Elijah's mouth, he set him over nations and kingdoms. What sets you over nations and kingdoms, what sets you over your circumstances is determined by what is in your mouth. When you have the word of the Lord in your mouth, there is power because the scripture says where the word of a king is, there is power. And can I tell you, Jesus Christ is not just a king, he's the king of kings. And when his word is in your mouth, it carries power, it carries authority. When you learn to speak the word, why do you think the devil makes it so hard to read your Bible? Why do you think he'll distract you? If you're trying to do, you know, memorize Bible verses, he'll do whatever he can to distract you because he knows that the word of God has power. When Jesus was in the wilderness, tempted 40 days by the devil, 40 days, the devil tempts Jesus, 40 days, Jesus resists the devil's temptations. Each and every time, the Bible records that Jesus resisted him by quoting the word of God. Of all the ways that Jesus could have defeated the devil, every time Jesus says, it is written, it is written, it is written. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to show us he didn't need to go to any higher power. He didn't need to go to anything else other than the Word of God. The Word of God is sufficient to rebuke the devil. The Word of God is sufficient power. It is more than enough. It is all you need. And the Bible says that Satan left him for an opportune time. Can I just tell you, when you get God's Word in your mouth, powerful things can happen. Can somebody say amen? So, so the first thing of bringing the rain is you need to understand the power of having God's word in your mouth. So now we come to a situation where it's three and a half years in, 
the famine is so bad and, and, and they're hunting uh, Elijah, they want to kill him. And so Elijah appears to Ahab and Ahab is too much of a wuss to kill him himself. Plus he's terrified of Elijah. So Elijah says, well, let's have a contest then. Your wife is polluting the land with all her false gods and all the prophets of Baal. Then why don't we have a little competition? You, 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 bring, you bring your prophets of Baal and I'll come representing the Lord and we'll get two bulls. And you can put one bull on an altar and I'll put another bull on the altar. And you call on the name of your gods and I'll call on the name of the Lord. And we'll see which God is the real God. The God that answers by fire, He's the real God. So Ahab organizes this great competition. And so they, they bring out two bulls. Can I just tell you, not much has changed. Because I listen to the claptrap of the secular world and it's a load of bull. But if you listen to a lot of a lot of the mainstream media, they believe that what I believe is a load of bull. So we kind of got the dilemma again of two bulls. <laughs> what we've got to do is we just got to kind of put our bulls on the altar and call out to our gods. And whichever God answers by fire is the true God. Come on, somebody. If your bull can attract some fire, if your bull can attract some, some supernatural, if your bull can attract something that consumes ropes and chains and bonds and shackles, if your bull can kind of call down fire, well, then, then we'll, we'll kind of go with, with your philosophy. But right now, I believe that my bull, and so they have the competition. And so Elijah comes to all the people and he says, listen, this is what's going to happen. How long are you going to falter between two opinions? If Baal is God, worship him. But if the Lord is God, worship Him. And the Bible says the people answered Him, not a word. The people answered Him, not a word, because when you live between two opinions, you lose your voice. When you live in a life of compromise, you actually have no voice. If, if you're kind of, you know, church on Saturday night, but then, you know, kind of skip, you know, over to, to Vegas, and you're kind of partying down in Vegas, you know, woo. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, baby. Woo! Had a party in Vegas. What what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I've left. It's meant to stay there, but it's on me. Get over there. It's still in here. Regret in here. Oh, it's still in. I thought what happened in Vegas stays there. It's in here. See, what happens is if you live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, if you're kind of straddling both sides of the fence, it's a painful way to live. And you actually find you, you lose your voice. People in your workplace don't take you seriously. You try and tell them about Jesus, try and tell them about God, and they're like, man, dude, come on. You party as crazy as the rest of us. You compromise as crazy as the rest of us. Don't, don't, don't you come piping off with your... We've got to become a voice. God is looking for His church to be a voice. Tonight, make a decision. It's not one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom. It's both feet in the kingdom. Become a voice. So Elijah says, well, let's have this competition. Let's kind of build some altars. And they put their bull. They put, you know, we'll put our bull. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that the, all the people answered in verse 24 and said, it is well spoken. People love competition. People love a good fight. They love a good game. They love competition. It's amazing, but it's Elijah that's kind of orchestrating everything. And now the people are in with it. That's brilliant. 450 prophets of Baal against just Elijah. I can see it now. Ladies and gentlemen, 
For the main feature event, we have in the black corner, representing Baal, 450 prophets of Baal. And ladies and gentlemen, over here representing the Lord by himself, Elijah. Let's get ready to rumble. And the whole place is going crazy. They're all going nuts. Because people love a competition, but here's the deal. You know what I like about Elijah? He's organizing the thing. In other words, he is at the climate control panel. And he's... He's he's actually setting the... Can I just tell you what? I believe that the kind of church that God wants to build and the kind of people that bring the rain are people who are, number three, more passionate than their peers. More passionate than their peers. Don't, don't, don't wait for the people around about you to get all enthusiastic about God before you get enthusiastic to God. Don't, don't wait for the worship band to kind of lift you into a place where you're ready to worship and praise God. Come into the house of God with your praise already on. Come into the house of God with a heart that already says, I'm about to worship God. I'm actually not, I'm going to go, you know, 110% for God. I'm, I'm tired of living a wish-washy, half-hearted, in the world, out of the world, in the kingdom, out of the kingdom kind of life. I made a decision tonight. I'm going for God. I made a decision tonight. I'm living for Jesus. I'm making a decision. I'm going to be more passionate than my peers. I'm not going to let the status quo determine the level of passion in my life. I'm going to be at the thermostat and I'm going to turn it up. When I come to church, I'm bringing atmosphere with me, baby. I'm going to be so enthusiastic. I'm going to be so engaged in the preaching. I'm going to be yelling out, wow, amen, throwing money, doing something. God loves passionate people. It's good for you to get passionate. Passionate people live better. So number three, be more passionate than your peers. Number four, I love this. It was, uh, so they cried out till noon, verse 27, verse 28. So they cried aloud and they cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out. Can I just tell you, it's unbelievably destructive when you don't live for God. They're gashing themselves, cutting themselves with blood coming out. And the Bible says the Baal answers them not. It's an incredibly empty life, living away from God. People shooting things into their veins. People snorting stuff. People hopping into bed with this one, with that one. People living all kinds of stuff, only to find that there's a cry for a voice. There's a cry for affirmation. There's a cry for help. There's a cry for for, for belonging, there's a cry for value, and it never gets answered because the God behind all of those things does not care for you, does not care about your life. It's only the Lord that cares about your life. And so uh, when, it, when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And then with those stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Number four is, I believe, authenticity. I believe that people that bring the rain are authentic. How many people know that our, you know, kind of our media and newspaper headlines have been filled with you know, the, the, the preachers and the ministers who have fallen from grace. And all it's done is it's just kind of, 
you know, kind of put a, a bad taste in people's mouth. The Bible says like a, a, a polluted spring or a contaminated well, so too is it when the righteous falters before the wicked. Nobody drinks out of a polluted well or a contaminated spring. And when the righteous falters before the wicked, people avoid that spring. The devil's made sure that every time we've had a minister fall or a minister disgraced, you know, he's made sure to put it up in the headlines to get as many people to avoid going to that well, to avoid going to that. But can I tell you that for every one of those ministers that have fallen, every one of those ministers that have committed immorality or taken off with the church funds, there are tens of thousands of men and women of God who are serving God week in, week out, faithfully, with all their heart, who are resisting temptation, who are devoting their lives to God, who are faithfully serving God. But unfortunately, we never get to, to hear about those things. But can I tell you something? They may not get to hear about those things, but the people that we're called to reach are actually looking at your life and looking at my life. And they're looking for something that's authentic. They're looking for something that's real. You, the, the, the world that we live in right now is obsessed with reality TV. The reason they're obsessed with reality TV is they're saying, you know what, don't give me fiction. I don't want any more fiction. I want something real. I want something tangible. I want something I can touch. I want something I can taste. I want something I can experience. I want to know the real deal. Is there something? And so God is looking for authenticity in his servants. What I like about Elijah, who was a man of God, is he says to all the people, come near to me. When I first uh, got saved and then was in Bible college, uh, I was in an Assemblies of God kind of background. And they said, you know, you've got to make sure that you keep a distance between yourself as the man of God and the people. Because if the people get too close to the man of God, they'll see your humanity. And if they see your humanity, well, then they'll, 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 uh, disrespect you. They'll dishonor you. you. You've got to keep a distance between them and yourself because if they see your hum humanity, you know, then they won't respect the authority that God has placed upon your life. So, okay, but I, I actually found that it works the other way. I actually found that if, if, uh, if, if I can just kind of get around people, they may see my humanity, but you can't hang out with me and you can't hang out with an authentic Christian long enough to see that beyond the humanity, beyond the same weaknesses and the same issues, there's a heartbeat of passion towards God. There's a heartbeat of prayer. There's a heartbeat of devotion. There's a heartbeat of enthusiasm. There's a heartbeat of consecration. There is a lifestyle choice. There is something different. We're in the house of God on a Saturday night. We're there on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, midweek stuff. We're passionate about the things of God. You can hang around me and you may see elements of humanity, but I guarantee you hang around me long enough. You'll also see moments of divinity and you'll see my God is my God, not just in church, but the other days of the week. And I believe that God is looking for Christians. He's looking for Christians that actually can draw people close to them and, uh, and, and be authentic around about them. The world is not interested in fake Christians. They're not interested in Christians who can blab it and grab it but can't possess it and, and confess it on the inside of them. They, they, they have something different in their words to their actions. God is looking for authenticity. I love this too because uh, the next, that was number four is authenticity. Number five is repairing altars. I believe people who bring the rain repair altars. It's, easy, it's interesting. Elijah says to all the people, come near to me. So he came and he repaired the altar of the Lord. And he took 12 stones, according to a number of the tribes of Israel, to whom the word of the Lord had came. And with these stones, he built an altar, verse 32, in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around it 
the altar large enough to hold two seers of seed. I love it that he took stones and built an altar. He took stones and built an altar. This is the Old Testament. And the people are in rebellion, and yet he took stones and he built an altar. He didn't take stones and throw it at the people. He took stones to build an altar. Stone in the Bible represents truth. And he took stones, he took the truth, and he built an altar. I tell you what we need less of is people that take truths and just throw it at people. You're going to hell! Sinner, you're going to hell! And throwing stones at people. Elijah brings an entire nation into revival in one day because he gets these stones and rather than throwing them at people, he builds an altar to the Lord. I believe that we need to build altars. You know, some of the, uh, some of the criticism, you know, that I've kind of had even as a youth pastor was, oh, you know, Pastor Yuga makes it too easy for people to come down to the altar. As though it's some type of trophy. We're going to make this, we're going to make it so hard for people to come down to the altar. If I see you coming and you got a little smirk on your face, I'm going to beat you and send you right back to your seat. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're going to have real church tonight. <laughs> see, the thing is that God will touch you in your seat, but he transforms at the altar. I want to make it as easy as possible. People, I want to make the doors as wide as I can for people to come and connect with God and for people to come and, and, and repent and for people to come and, and that they've been disconnected and to reconnect and the people who embrace God and, and change the way that they live and change the way that they walk. I don't want to make it hard. I want to make it easier. But I'm telling you, you th start throwing stones at people, they're not going to come closer. They're going to go further away. I like Elijah because he takes the stones and he builds an altar. I believe that, that rainmakers are people that build altars. And so he, he, get, he digs a trench around it and then he fills it with water. And then he says to the servants, do it a second time. So they put water in there a second time. And he says, do it a third time. So they do it a third time. They, 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 bring, they bring the water. And then he prays once and fire comes down from heaven consumes the bull, the wood, and licks up all the water. Do you know why the fire came? The fire came because it was attracted to water. That doesn't make sense. How's fire attracted to water? It puts it out. Elijah wasn't operating in science. He wasn't operating in the realm of physics, chemistry, or biology. He was operating in a much higher dimension. He was operating in a kingdom dimension of faith. And in the time of a drought, the most precious commodity in a time of drought is water. Elijah digs a trench around the altar. He says, bring it and fill it with water. They pour water in there. He says, do it a second time. I said, yeah, people are dying. There's not enough water. And you just want us to pour, just pour it out. So pour it out a second time. People look around there. That's a little bit of a waste. He says, now do it a third time. So they bring water a third time. The prophets of Baal are scratching their head going, why is he wasting everybody's drinking water? Doesn't he know it's a drought? Doesn't he know this is wasteful? But he understands that God is drawn to sacrifice. God just moved without a price. He'd be moving in your life all the time. But there's a price tag 
seeing God move in our lives, move in our world. I'm telling you, it's sacrifice. Elijah brings what is most precious in the time of the drought, and he pours it out. Pours it out, and he pours it out. I'm going to tell you, pretty much all of my breakthroughs, every single breakthrough I've had in my life, has been on the other end of some incredible sacrifice that the Lord has asked me to make. In fact, I, 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 over the many, many dozens and dozens of breakthroughs, I don't think any of, any of them have come for free. I think all of them have had a price tag of sacrifice attached to the beginning. When you come and you lay your life, and when you sacrifice, find the fire of God falls on sacrifice. God wasn't attracted to Elijah's bull. He was attracted to Elijah's faith. He was attracted to Elijah's offering. He was attracted to Elijah's sacrifice. God's not attracted to the bull in our lives, but he's drawn to sacrifice. Fire comes down whole nation is in revival. The Lord, He is God. All the people fall on their face. Elijah says, seize the prophets of Baal. They execute the prophets of Baal. And then we come down to verse 41. It says, and Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to the palace to eat and to drink. But Elijah went to the top of Carmel. And he bowed with his face to the ground, with his face between his legs, and said to his servant, go up now and look towards the sea. And he went up and looked, and he said, there is nothing. Seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. And he says, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. And it happened in the meantime, the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. The last key, I believe, and the most powerful in all of this is prayer. Rainmakers know how to pray. I'm going to teach you tonight, really quickly, in the last two minutes that we have this service, about the kind of prayer that Elijah prayed. The Bible says he comes to Ahab, and he says, Arise, go to your palace, eat and drink, for there is the sound of an abundance of rain in the midst of a famine. Elijah knew that he could not change what was in the heavens unless he changed what was blocking the heavens. He had to execute Baal. He had to take out the prophets of Baal that were clouding up. He had to remove the idolatry that had contaminated the land of Israel, polluted them to such a place that the heavens were shut up. Once he got rid of the idolatry, it's like in our lives, once we deal with the sin in our hearts, while we deal, once we deal with the junk in our lives, we will find all of a sudden blessing just begins to flow. You'll find that, bef- that the, what happens is you deal with the stuff in your life and the blessing may not flow straight away, but at least you'll hear what you couldn't hear over this side. When the prophets of Baal were were wiped out, Elijah says, go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound. It was just a sound of an abundance of rain. When the king went up into the palace, the king is is the, the greatest 
authority in the land from an earthly standpoint. But while he's eating and drinking in his palace, there's another authority that has gone up to Mount Carmel. And he's on top of a mountain and he's got his face on the ground between his knees and he's crying out to God. And he says to his servant, go. And the servant goes and he looks towards the sea and there's nothing. And his servant comes back and says, there's, there's nothing. And so Elijah bows again and he cries out again. And he cries out again. He says, go. And the servant runs again and he looks and, he, and there's still nothing. And he comes and there's nothing. There's nothing. Yeah, are you sure you're doing it right? And he's like just, and so he's, and he's praying again. He says, now go. And so I said, okay, I'll go. He's not kind of running this time. He's just going to have a little leisurely walk. And, and uh, still, still nothing. Uh, hey, still, still, are, you, are you sure? Are you sure it's today? You know, maybe, you know, the timing of the Lord. The Lord moves in mysterious ways. And we don't, you know, what? Oh, you're praying again. And Elijah, and he's praying again. He says, right, go. He says, all right, I'll go this time. And, uh, yeah. What? Oh, yeah, so I'm going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, nothing. Are you sure you're doing it right? Elijah still shambra. It's four times, five times. Nothing. Elijah prays again. Go. Probably got sunstroke. Nothing. Nothing. That's six times, Elijah. Elijah prays again. He, the Bible says in James chapter 5, Elijah was just a man, just like you and I, with a nature like ours. But it says this in James chapter 5, and he prayed again. Elijah prayed until he saw with his eyes what he heard in his spirit. I said, Elijah prayed until he saw with his eyes what he heard the Lord speak into his spirit. The kind of prayer that brings the rain, the kind of prayer that ends the drought is not the kind of prayer that is a cerebral prayer. It's not even the the. the the, the very, very pious and respectful prayer. You know, you know those prayers? It's the prayers that, that, that we fill with one little four-letter word. Just. Lord, we just come before you. And we just ask, Lord, that you just listen to your servants. And we just ask, Lord, that we know that we just are not just enough to just come before you. But we just ask, Lord, that you would just gaze your attention towards us, Lord. And we just ask, Lord, that with the famine and all the suffering of the little children, yes, Lord, just the children are also just fam, you know, they're, they're famished, Lord, and they're, they're just, and we ask just that just, Lord, you would just, and, and we kind of think that, oh, God's like, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, listen, Gabriel, come here, listen to that, mate. Do you hear them saying, oh, it's my favorite word. I only got four letters, just with a J, 
My son's first name starts with a J. Did you know that? Oh, you knew that. You knew it. All right. right same. J, first three letters, J-U-S. You put E-E-S in there. You've got Jesus. Okay. Right. I love that word. It makes, it endears me. That's not the kind of prayer that works. It's not even the, the well-polished Bible college prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we beseech you therefore, Lord. And yea, verily we are reminded, Lord, that in the book of Exodus, thou did part the Red Sea. And yea, and like, you know, we've got to give God a, you know, a, a lesson. Hang on, hang on. I'm taking notes. What else did I do? It was so long ago, I've forgotten. Oh, I parted the Red Sea. I forgot about that. Here, what else did I do? That's right, with Moses, he struck the rock, didn't he? Good memory, Bible. No, no, that's not the prayer that. I love whoever's laughing up there. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love that woman. God bless you. That's not the prayer. It's a kind of prayer that comes from deep in here that refuses to quit, that refuses to give up until I see with my eyes what I heard the Lord speak into my spirit. It's the kind of prayer that is relentless. It is the kind of prayer that is persistent. It is the kind of prayer that refuses to give up. You are standing toe to toe with the devil and you may be tired and you may be beat down and you may be worn out, but you're looking at the devil saying, devil, you will quit before I'm quitting because I'm not quitting because one of these prayers is going to bring a rising cloud out of the sea that may be as small as a man's head, but I will pray until I see with my eyes what I hear in my spirit. People that bring the rain have that kind of prayer life. Come on, give God a great shout in this house.